The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to episode 67 of the Keep Our Cut podcast. I'm Chad Young, joined as always by Pete Ball. As a reminder, you can find us anywhere podcasts are available to be subscribed to. You should subscribe. You should leave us ratings and reviews. You can also follow the show on Twitter at Keeper Cut. You can follow Pete at Pete B Baseball. You can find me at Chad Young. Got all of that out of the way early this time, Pete. We usually <laughs> save it for the end, and now everyone is going to have to listen to it in order to hear our, our brilliant analysis. That's a good point. It only took us 67 episodes, but we uh, we figured out the timing. Finally figured it out. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. If you're going to promote yourselves, you got to do it when people are actually still paying attention, not when they've <laughs> you know given up. So with that, let's tell you what you're going to start paying attention to and eventually give up on this week, which is we're going to talk about our, our, our draft value all-stars. That's how I'm going to phrase it because we're coming up on the all-star break. This, this episode, we're recording on Friday, July 15th. This episode is going to go live on Monday, the 18th, which is the day before all the all-star festivities take off the day. Maybe the day they do take off. I don't know. Monday all-star break starts and we're going to talk about all-stars. And so the way we're, we're thinking about these all-stars are not, not necessarily the very best players. Although in some cases we got guys who are pretty, pretty close to being the very best players, but guys whose draft value just makes them incredibly valuable. And, and for a show that's focused on keepers, I mean, that's where keeper value comes from, right? Pete, yeah, exactly. And that that's kind of what I think spurred this idea, right? Is is we're starting to think more and more about who our keepers are in our leagues. And we talked about this with Matt Heckman a few weeks ago when we started looking at our who are we actually considering keeping in our Ot New League number two that has similar rules to many keeper leagues where draft round or round drafted is the direct value of the price you have to pay to keep that player. That's right. And so what you're gonna get here today is these are guys who are being selected not necessarily for their keeper value, but because of the value they've provided this year at an incredibly low cost. That likely means they're keepers, although we should discuss maybe some of these. I don't know. I don't know if there's anyone on here I think isn't a keeper. In theory, there could be guys who aren't. Some of the guys in our honorable mention, I think, are worth discussing whether or not they're actually keepers. But with that, what we're going to do is talk about guys who we think are providing great value versus their ADP. The ADP we're going to use is the NFBC draft champions ADP. Why that one? I don't know. It just seemed like a good one to use. It doesn't really matter. It doesn't change the the analysis here. And 
Pete and I went through, we each picked a catcher, a corner infielder, a middle infielder, an outfielder, and a starting pitcher. And Pete, we used pretty different, I don't, I don't know what the word is, different approaches, different evaluation methods to, to come up with our lists. Yeah, we did. So, I mean, you were looking more, I don't want to say at the top, because it's definitely, there's there's really none other than one guy, I guess, that was kind of close to the top. But you were looking at like, all right, somebody had to make a decision between two players who are getting drafted in every league, and they ended up choosing one, and it ended up being a great decision. For me, m- that you'll notice, folks, that the ADPs on the players that I chose for this are much, much, much later. Like, I'm looking for the players who were absolute home runs if you decided to draft them. Now, it does come, you know, Chad, you and I were talking that, like, some of these guys might be a little bit of luck. Like, as a spoiler, I chose Kyle Wright at starting pitcher. We'll talk about that much later in the episode. And you said like people probably drafted him for luck. And and I don't disagree. There wasn't a there wasn't a whole lot of reason to draft Kyle Wright going into the season. But if you were someone who was like, you know what, I really like Kyle Wright's stuff and he's gonna have an opportunity because of the injuries in Atlanta, well, you hit a home run with that pick super late. And that's really what I was looking for here. Yeah, I think that and the way you described it is exactly right. What I really wanted to find were guys who it was like people people who I think managers looked at their ADP and said, this ADP is too low. It wasn't a it wasn't a lottery ticket. It wasn't a gamble. It was just, I think this guy's better than where he's being drafted. And those those managers for the five guys I want to talk about, they won. <laughs> they were right to to make those bets. So with that, let's start off. Well, I was going to start with catcher, but you already mentioned your pitcher. So why don't we just start with pitchers and and work our way back up the list? The guy the guy you talked about or you want to talk about is Kyle Wright. So talk to me a little bit about why Wright's on your list. Sure. So I mean, I mean, right off the bat, right? I mean, Kyle Wright had an ADP on draft champions of 596. So I'm willing to bet it would have been much, much later. But as you know, Atlanta's rotation began to shake out, and it looked like he was, you know, going to be firmly in that rotation, it probably bumped up a little bit, hence the, the number 596. But he's a guy who when he first got called up to the big leagues, a lot of people had a had a lot of faith in him because his stuff is nasty. I mean, he 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 throws basically, I mean, what five different pitches somewhat consistently. He throws four different pitches at least 16.8% of the time, with the 16.8 being the changeup. He's got good movement on his pitches. The problem was was command. Control and command. He 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 walked the yard every time he pitched, and it killed him. It, it, his walk rate. In 2020, for example, in the shortened season was 14.3. He followed that up in 2021 with, you guessed it, a walk rate of 14.3. And something has obviously clicked because for a guy who going into the season had a career walk rate over 14%, his walk rate is 7.6. It's coincided with an increase in his K rate where he's up at 24%, which isn't like elite but it's still much, much better, obviously, than where he was before sitting around, I don't know, probably about 18% strikeout rate. And it's just all come together for Kyle Wright. And Chad, something that I've really enjoyed from Kyle Wright this season is how deep he's going into outings. And I think that's obviously because he's cut down on the walks, but also because he's one of these pitchers who's very good, but doesn't strike everybody out. And it allows him to keep the pitch count a little bit lower and go deeper into his innings. You look at his game log over his last, let's just limit it to his last, I don't know, four starts, seven innings, seven innings. Then he had the one four inning outing, which I'm pretty sure was a rain delay. And then the start before that, seven innings. So this guy's going deep into outings. He's been an absolute 
monster for his his draft value. And the reality is, if we want to talk on a more like realistic basis, if you have Kyle Wright, you added him off of free agency, like I did, not to keep bringing up this league, but our our league number two on fan tracks, where he's a slam dunk keeper. Like if he's going to be the equivalent of a last round pick, at this point, he's already established himself most likely as one of your keepers, given the cost. So Kyle Wright, all in on this year. I wish I was all in on him going into the year. I did end up with him in a lot of spots because I liked what I was seeing, and it has paid dividends. Yeah, and when you get into his his repertoire, I think the the thing that stands out to me, and I you know I'm not alone in in noticing this, but he used his curveball last year. 14.3% of the time. It was right around there in 2019, 2020 as well. All of a sudden this year, he's using it 32.8% of the time. But when you mentioned control, what made that possible is his zone percentage on his curveball last year was 36.8%. League average is 40.1%. This year, he's at 51.7%. Now that has come at the expense of some whiffs. He had a 42.9% whiff rate on it last year. It's down to 346 this year. However, 34.6 is still more than eight percentage points higher than league average. So what he basically did was he gave up some of his sort of elite whiffs on the curve in order to be able to throw it for strikes when he needs to. And that's just been a huge, huge improvement for him. It's allowed him to use that curveball a lot more because if you can't throw it for strikes, you can only use it when you can afford to not throw a strike. Now he can throw it for strikes, so he can use it anytime, any count, whenever he needs it. And he's done something similar with his, his sinker where he was throwing it in the zone 30.8% of the time last year. It was around 41-42% before that, and it's up to 55% this year. League average, again, on that 48.5%. So all of a sudden, he's got these two pitches that are his two primary pitches that he can throw for strikes and get whiffs on. His whiff rate on both of those is above average. And it's just, yeah, I mean, he's a no-doubt keeper for me, I think almost regardless of when or how you got him. Because he seems to have really turned a corner. Now, I think that there was a little bit of over-exuberance in in April. Because I don't think he's as good as his April line shows. But I think he is settling in. I talked about this on the the First Pitch podcast yesterday, this morning, today, whatever day this is. On Friday, when I recorded last night, I talked about right. And, And it just, it seems like he is settling in as a... Not an ace necessarily, but a very, very good starting pitcher. And given his cost and, and given what he's done this year, I mean, it's just it's super impressive. Uh, it, it also gives you some hope for some of the others in the Atlanta organization who need to make improvements because they've shown they can make them with him. For sure. And the organization is one thing because they do continue to churn out pitchers. If anything, it's almost like the opposite. It's like I, I wasn't completely out on right because of Atlanta's success in developing starting pitchers, as opposed to me hoping that, you know, Tuki Toussaint or if he's even still in that organization is going to come around. But what I will say about right is, is something that I've been harping on for, for months now is ground ball rate. And you see that ground ball rate up over 53 percent. That is a that's a huge, gra- like a, a significant ground ball rate over half the time. Dudes are putting the ball on the ground, and that has obviously made me a lot more interested in Kyle Wright, and it helps stomach the lack of strikeouts a little bit better because he's at least he's keeping the ball on the ground when it gets put in play if he's not going to be missing bats. So Wright, yeah, I'm with you, Chad. He's, he's definitely a keeper at this point. So the pitcher I went with is Shane McClanahan, and obviously much, much higher draft cost than Wright. His ADP was 101. The thing that stands out to me though with him, though, is if I look at the Rasball player rater, Shane McClanahan is third. Not third among pitchers. He is <laughs> third. The next highest 
pitcher in that list is 14th. That's Sandy Alcantara. Justin Verlander is 15th. Verlander, another guy who is sort of an interesting consideration for this this sort of draft value all-stars, but he was going before McClanahan and has obviously not performed as well. McClanahan, I I think there's less to talk about here because he has made some changes in his repertoire. Like he is throwing his four-seamer a little less, his curveball more, his changeup a lot more, and his slider a lot less. But really what it is is like all of his pitches are just awesome. His slider, which is his least used pitch, has a 46.8% whiff rate, which is compared to a 31.8% league average. His changeup, his second least used pitch, has a 45.5% whiff rate. League average is 25.7. Then his curveball and his four-seamer, which are his most used pitches, also have above average whiff rates. So it's like sometimes you see this guy, it's like, oh, he's got a great whiff rate on this pitch if he would just use it more. And for McClanahan, it's like, yeah, just use whatever you want. Use whatever you want, whenever you want. The only, only thing that you can look at to maybe raise questions is like his slider seems like it's a better pitch than maybe his curve, maybe. And so I can make a case he should use his slider more, but like, I don't know. He's got he's got four pitches that all have above average whiff rates that all have above average zone percentages. It's like He's got four pitches he can throw for strikes when he needs to strike in the zone that he can throw by you when he needs to throw by you. He's he's just phenomenal. Yeah, there's really nothing to add with Shane McClanahan. I'm in 21 leagues. I drafted him in zero. I did have him end up with him in two because they're keeper leagues, dynasty leagues. So I do have some exposure there. But, you know, you bring up the, the slider potentially being better than the curveball, definitely by whiff rate. I mean, the, the curve has been hit less and maybe it's just one of those if he showed the slider more then those numbers would start to creep up but there's there's nothing more to say i mean if you got him period he's a keeper right i mean is he a top three pitcher going forward for you chad oh boy i mean Degrom is going to be back right and, and so he's still number one my goodness i i'm trying to think of like who would make up my top five i'm going to leave out otani from this entirely because his value is too caught up in being Otani. It is getting but harder yeah. to do because every time he takes the mound now, it's like, it's, I mean, he's, it's fireworks. He is a, he's an incredible pitcher. And I do think his, like, in Yahoo, where you have to decide between Otani the hitter and Otani the pitcher, would I take Otani that, I guess let's look at that. Would I take that Otani as a top five pitcher, probably not just because no. of volume. I think he's going to stick in a, a six-man rotation. I mean, his starting pitcher value is sixth on the Rasball player Raider. But again, DeGrom's not in there. There's some guys below him like Garrett Cole and Carlos Rodon, who I still, I still think I prefer. For McClanahan, is he top three? I, I think he might be. I don't know. Other than DeGrom... Like you can make a case for Sandy Alcantara, you can make a case for Corbin Burns, you can make a case for Otani. I think you can make a case for Cole, Rodon. There's like there's there's guys you could argue belong above McClanahan, but I'm not sure I want to make any of those arguments. And so, yeah, I'm gonna I'm yes, top three moving forward. Yeah, I, I think I'm the same way. I think I probably would take Corbin Burns over him, maybe. But you're right. It's like I don't really care to make some compelling case because I don't think there is a compelling case. If he's top three, I guess we're just asking, has he passed Garrett Cole? And I think if I'm in a keeper league and 
I'm looking at price and everything else, I, I definitely have McClanahan above Cole at that point. Yeah, I mean, for, from a price perspective, like if you look at as if you if you asked right now who is the single most valuable keeper you can have among a starting pitcher, I think it might be McClanahan. It has because to be. now, I, I mean, the other the only other debate would be someone like Kyle Wright or some of our honorable mention guys who we should probably get right. into now, like Spencer Strider, right? Someone who right. cost you literally nothing. But and then you get into sort of a format question and stuff like that. If you've got a league with 10, 15 keepers and you're going to definitely keep a guy like Wright. But if you're in a league with three keepers, Wright's going to be a borderline choice for you, depending on who else is on your team. McClanahan is not. McClanahan is a guy you keep at a seventh, eighth, ninth round pick, whatever it was he cost. You're getting an ace. You're getting a guy who's going to be a debatable first rounder and certainly a second rounder next year. Yeah, so hundred percent. Yeah, let's talk those honorable mentions. Strider, one of those guys. I, the guy that I threw into that list is Tony Gonsolin. He sort of fits my mo a little more. Where he was, he was a pick three oh nine on average, so not not nearly as early as as a guy like McClanahan. But going back to that player Raider, he's the number four starting pitcher on the Rasball player Raider. He is. Number four starting pitcher leaves him as the number 21 overall player, but I I don't have as much faith in him to continue to be a top five pitcher. Like he's, he's not one of my top 10 pitchers moving forward. I don't think so. That's why he doesn't get the nod over McClanahan for me, but he has been absolutely terrific. Yeah. If you've rostered him to this point, you know, regardless of the price, you've obviously gotten a huge haul. I'm, I'm kind of with you. I, I don't think I have him in my top 20. To be honest with you, the ERA is one thing, but all of the, you know, XERA, FIP, XFIP, all that stuff has him as as much, much higher. He's not really getting a lot of swings and misses. His last outing was obviously pretty bad. I mean, the swing strike rate is actually 12.9%, which to be honest, it's it's higher than I thought it was going to be. It's still not like elite or anything. The strikeout rate itself is not elite. The ground ball rate is not elite. So, um, but that's kind of besides the point. If you've had him to this point, you've had a rock star. Yeah, for sure. Anyone else you want to talk about on the starting pitcher front? Uh, just, I guess, Strider really quickly. You know, I, he's just two pitches, but it's like they're so good, doesn't matter. And I, I'm i kind of all in on Spencer Strider. He's kind of the polar opposite of Tony Gonsolin when we talk about like strikeout rate and, and swing strike rate. So Spencer Strider for a free keeper price is, I think, one of the best starting pitcher keepers going in fantasy baseball right now. And if you drafted Martin Martin Perez, can you please tweet us a screenshot of that? And we'll, we will reply to you with like a firework emoji or something because that is a hell of a pick but i listed yeah. him an honorable mention just because of his adp but i don't think anybody on planet earth drafted martin perez yeah i, I the thing with strider i mean perez perez is what perez is uh, yeah. <laughs> the thing with strider is i do wonder with just two pitches does the league eventually catch up to him but i don't know we're 70 innings in they haven't done it yet Right. So he doesn't go real deep into games. He's only gone six innings three times, although they were three of his last four starts. He's only faced like he's faced 23 hitters once. He's only gone over 20 hitters like five or six times. Like they're not putting him to the third time through the order very much. So I do think it's going to cap his value somewhat. And, you know, we'll have to see. I mean, to this point, he has faced. Milwaukee twice, but it was only three total. No, Milwaukee three times for seven total innings. And is that it? Is that uh, he's faced Washington twice for nine total innings? 
he really hasn't gone through the league a second time yet is what it comes down to. He's faced Miami a couple times, although one of those times he got he re- he really struggled against Miami and the other was only one inning. Like we just haven't really seen what happens when a team gets a second real look at Strider. And I'm still sort of curious about that. I don't think it changes his keeper value. I do think that it will impact how high he ends up in sort of like a player rate or thing like that. I think he's going to struggle a little bit at some point, but I don't think he's, I don't think it's like everything's going to fall apart or anything like that. No, he does give up a lot of balls in the air and somehow has a home run to fly ball rate of just 5.5%. So assuming that normalizes a little bit, he'll look a little bit more human, but I'm with you at, at his price, especially he's a good keeper. Yeah. So let's jump to the outfield next. And this one, the ADPs of the two guys we picked are a little bit closer. Last time we were almost 500 picks apart in our, in our ADPs. <laughs> this time we're only about 40, 45, 46, 46 picks apart in our ADPs. We'll go to your guy first. Who did you have? Yeah, so I, I think, first of all, I think there's only one answer to this question. It's the guy that you chose. But I ended up going with Brandon Nimmo. OPS over 800 still gets on base at an awesome clip. Yeah, the OBP at 361 actually is a little low for him. He's a career 387 OBP guy. But he's been awesome simply because he's been healthy, right? I mean, the Mets offense has been great. It's it's cooled off a little bit, I guess, but they kind of just lit it up the other night. I'm not worried about the Mets offense. It's a great offense. And Brandon Nimmo gets a bat near the top. Uh, consistently. And and his issue really throughout his career to this point has been health. I think we all know that Nimmo is going to be a contributor when he's healthy, not a monster contributor in power, definitely not in speed, but just in terms of the counting statistics, which he has been 56 runs. Uh, the RBIs aren't there because he's, he's towards the top, but then he's almost in double digit home run territory. So if you got him for that ADP of 250 or 292, I should say on draft champions, then you've basically gotten, I mean, at this point, he's got to be what a top 20, top 25 outfielder because outfield has been terrible. And that's a huge, you know, reward. So I think a lot of people are going to be considering keeping Brandon Nimmo this year. He is 116 overall on the player Raider at Rasball. Among outfielders, he is 34th. A little lower than I would have guessed. Part of that the speed. is the lack of speed, right? He doesn't, he has not stolen a base yet this year. He stole five last year, but that was five stolen bases with four caught stealing. So like he, he's not running. And with that lineup behind him, like he shouldn't run. There's just right. no reason for him to take that kind of risk because he's too valuable once he's on base. I think the thing that's interesting with him is like his nine home runs so far are his second most in his career. Now, part of that is just health, but he also is just like, I think there's a good shot. He has a career high in home runs this year. His career high was 18. His average exit velocity is the highest it's ever been. His max EV this year is the hardest hit ball he's ever had in his career. His barrel rate is higher than it's ever been. Like he's hitting the ball with more authority. And what's interesting is that OBP you mentioned, it's down in large part, at least I think, because his chase rate is up. And his chase rate's been trending up more as the season's gone on, but so has his offense. Mm-hmm. And, and so it looks to me like he is being more aggressive at the plate in order to come away with maybe less, maybe a little bit less on base, but more ISO. And it's hard, a little bit hard to compare those things year over year because the offensive environment is different this year. But the overall WRC plus is very similar to where it's been. It's 134 for his career, 135 this year, but it's been trending up. It's it's closer to like 145 or 150 even over the last like month or two. So 
he's yeah i i'm a big fan of nemo another guy who i mentioned on the first pitch podcast because he had a good day yesterday i said he'd be one of my top trade candidates like if i'm if i was to acquire right if i'm if i'm looking for outfield help especially in obp leagues i I would happily go after him but even in five by five i mean he has a 275 average this year his career average is 268 he was 280 and 292 the last two years like he has a plus in average now the challenge in five by five is that he doesn't steal and he's not really a plus in power but I think he's going to score a ton of runs. I think he'll have a decent number of RBIs for a leadoff guy. It won't be a huge number, but a, a, for a leadoff guy, I think he'll do well. I, he's really good. He's a solid, solid player in an OBP leagues. He's he's a star. Now, as you said, though, as good as Nimmo's been, there is only one right answer. Right. <laughs> and I took him before you could. Tulio Rodriguez. And I, I don't... I mean... Julio Rodriguez, his ADP this year in draft champions was 256. That was probably a, like his ADP was probably worse than that outside of draft champions. Because in draft champions, we were like, he's going to get called at some point, but if I don't take a shot at him now, I can never add him because there's no waiver wire. People would probably be a little more aggressive with him. So he probably went even later in some other formats. And yeah, I mean, he is the number three outfielder on the Rasball player Raider. That is good enough to make him the number 12 overall player. He didn't get off to a great start. Remember early in the season, there was all that conversation about how he was getting like completely blown up on called strikes outside the strike zone and his strikeout rate was too high because umps just were letting him have it. And he's number 12 and that feels like it's low. It feels like he's been better than that since maybe the second or third week of the season. And so the conversation now is like, here's a guy who was going in the 20th round-ish last year, this year, and next year is, I mean, it's not a question of whether or not he's a first-round pick. It's a question of how early in the first round you take him. So again, not a lot to talk about. I mean, the guy is like, he has hit 15 home runs so far. He has 21 stolen bases. If you look at the projections, they're projecting him to hit about nine or 10 more home runs and have about 10 more stolen bases, which makes him you know, on pace for something like a 25-30 season, I think he goes more like 35-30. Me too. I, I think like he's just, he has been so good since that early period. And yeah, I think, uh, I, I don't know. There's nothing, I have nothing bad to say about Julio Rodriguez. I just feel bad for everybody who isn't living in Seattle because I get to go watch him play every time I go to see the Mariners. And I, I'm like the fact that right now, like I'm not even a Mariners fan. I'm a Mariners season ticket holder because I live in Seattle and I love baseball, but I'm not really a Mariners fan per se. But the fact that I make it to watch Julio Rodriguez in Seattle in the playoffs, like I am just, I am so fired up about that. Such a fun guy. Assuming, you know, they make it. I'm still hoping that uh, the Red Sox can lock up a spot here and, and Seattle kind of has me worried. But no, you're spot on with Rodriguez. He's just been incredible. And, you know, if you look at the StatCast page and you're like, oh, man, well, that strikeout rate's still a little high. So maybe I should temper my expectations. But keep in mind what Chad said. I mean, in April, he was getting called out all the time and that strikeout rate was 37 percent. Since then, it's pretty much gone down. May and June was consistently 25% so far in July. And we're recording on July 15th. We're halfway through the month. It's under 20%. He's at 19.1 for the month. So if that K rate continues to go down, that means more balls in play. So I agree with Chad's prediction of, of 
taken the over on the projections for the home runs. And he's just he's just incredible. You're right. He's a first round talent. We're going to have to figure out where he goes in that first round. Yeah, the honorable mention I had for the outfield is is another guy who maybe slightly more fits my my MO here because he's a bit of a higher pick, but has not been nearly as good as Rodriguez. And that's Adelis Garcia. Garcia was going around pick 181. And it seems like it, basically it seems like everybody saw what he did last year. And was like, eh, he fell off late. He's got these strikeout issues. He doesn't get on base. His average is low. He's on the player radar as number 32. Now, part of that is this sort of overvaluing of speed. But we just talked about how Julio Rodriguez has 15 home runs and 21 stolen bases and is, you know, pushing for 30-30. Adelis has 15 home runs and 13 stolen bases. Now, he's probably not going to get to 30-30, but 30-20 seems fairly reasonable for him. And yes, it comes with a 239 average this year. And it was only 243 last year. He's even worse in OBP leagues. He has a 281 career OBP. It's been 286 and 283 the last year. Like he is a disaster in OBP. But in five by five, just take the hit on average because this is a guy who's going to push for 100 runs. He's going to push for 100 RBIs and he's going to push for 30 home runs and 30 stolen bases, 30 home runs and 25 stolen bases, maybe. I mean, yes, you can say that the player rater overvalues speed. It does. But even if he's not the 31st best player at 181, he was a steal. Yeah, he was a slam dunk. And and he was someone who like it was like popular to fade him. You know, like everybody was fading yeah. Adelise Garcia. And that includes me. I was able to get him in our new league, but that's four by four and it counts OBP. So he's been a detriment there. But like you said, in runs, home runs and slugging percentage, he's actually been pretty awesome. So yeah, he he deserves the honorable mention nod, particularly at a position that frankly has been a disaster. Yeah, and he he's just he's interesting because like you said, four by four, he's he has very little value because his slugging isn't even that good because of his low on base and average. And so right. yes, he's providing you runs and home runs, but he is such a big detriment to your rates. And even if you look at like a Fangraphs points league, he's only been four point nine points per game as an outfielder, which is fine. But it's not particularly good. He really is uniquely well positioned for five by five because of the speed, the power, the runs, and the RBI. Those are the things he's best at. And those things, you know, they don't all count in these other formats. So right. he's a really good example of, you know, know your league, know what your format is. Because if you look at just a generic, you know, outfield ranking list and he shows up as a top 15 outfielder because of, you know, someone's thinking five by five and you're not in five by five, he's he's just not that valuable. So be aware. The, of that. the expected slugging is at 509 and he's well below that. I just maybe I just don't know enough about expected slugging, but I found that kind of weird. Yeah, maybe there's more slugging coming. That could that could be. I hope so. So let's <laughs> let's move to the dirt part of the field and let's start with your pick at middle infield. Sure. Yeah. So at middle infield, I went with Jeremy Pena, who unlike Adelise Garcia, who a lot of people were fading, a lot of people were really hyping up Jeremy Pena. You talked about this before we started recording, Chad, how he was one of those guys who like, once it really started looking like, oh, Correa is not coming back. And all of a sudden, Trevor Story signed with the Red Sox. And all of a sudden, it looked like Jeremy Pena has the job. Now, he did spend some time on the IL. And I think that actually kind of speaks to just how awesome he's been. Because even with that IL stint, he's still 12 homers and six stolen bases through exactly 250 
at bats, 273 plate appearances. So, you know, the walk rate's not great. It's just 5.1%. That's well below league average. The strikeout rate isn't great either. That's worse than league average at 24.2. But he's a young guy. He's just 24 years old figuring out the league, and he has been awesome. He's been a wonder for Houston. The ADP on him, because I didn't mention it, was 419, but I'm willing to bet that was like, that's very much like the number right in the middle because he probably went top, I don't know, 200, top 250 in a lot of leagues when it looked like he was getting the job and then went undrafted almost in a lot of others that drafted much earlier in the offseason. So his keeper value for your particular league might vary greatly. Like you might have heard that four, that 419 ADP and been like, oh, I don't have that kind of value on Jeremy Pena at all. But I'm willing to bet no matter where you have Jeremy Pena, if you do, he is a slam dunk keeper because you still got him later than what he's been worth. I'm interested to see what the projection systems have him for for the rest of the year because his power has been a little bit inconsistent. It's kind of come in, in batches. And so I'm looking at fan graphs right now, and it looks like Steamer projects him for nine more home runs. I would take that. So now we're talking about a 21 homer and almost 15, over 15, about 15, I should say, stolen base season. Actually looks like it be 11, yeah, five and six. But still, to get like 25 and 10, out of a guy who you got that late, if that's what he ends up doing, I think it's pretty awesome. Jeremy Pena has been great. Yeah, he has been. And and I think that there's, there's good reason to sort of after the season want to take a look at like, what did his progression look like? Right. Because his, his track record is pretty sparse, right? He was in a ball in 2018 and 2019. He wasn't on the 40 man. So he didn't exist in 2020 as far as baseball was concerned. And then he came back last year and only played 30 games, 133 plate appearances in AAA. He was very good, right? He had a 387 Woba in AAA last year. But again, it was only 133 plate appearances. So like all we have of him above A-ball is now a total of 406 plate appearances between last year and this year across AAA and AA. So I'm very curious to see after the season, like what did his progression look like? Did he, was he improving? Was he showing growth? Cause he's still developing, right? He is, he doesn't look like he should be a finished product. And I wonder if he will be undervalued in drafts next year. He was so hot to start the season. He somewhat cooled off. And if the, I think there's a possibility that what you see at the end of the year is people are sort of cooling on him because the hype was so early. But there's real progression in his underlying skills that leads me to believe he'll be more valuable next year. I haven't really looked into that. I'm going to look into it later in the season. But he's a guy I'd be watching to see if people start to sort of fade him next year and if that's a mistake. Yeah, I, I, and I, I think it would be, right? He's, like you said, I, I don't know enough about the progression just yet, but he's also at a very deep position where the attraction is really at the top. But if you wait on shortstop, assuming it's as deep next year and you get Jeremy Pena as like barely a top 20 shortstop, then you've already won that position. Like, I, I think he's going to far exceed that. Yeah. And he is, by the way, he is on the player radar shortstop number 21 right now. And, and that does speak to the depth of the position. It also, in some cases, speaks to how much speed is overvalued, I think. But oh, for yeah. sure. Like looking at ESPN, ESPN has him as the 19th shortstop and they have Jorge Mateo as the 18th shortstop who is batting 199 with seven home runs. But why is he there? Because he has 22 stolen bases. So yeah. I, that is it. R- R- Rasball has Pena 21 and Mateo 22. So, <laughs> OK, still, Mateo should not be yeah. that even close, I, period. I <laughs> agreed. Agreed. So let's do my out or not my outfielder, my middle infielder. 
I went with a guy who, again, earlier pick, a guy who I think there were there were good reasons to bet on him at his ADP and it has paid off, and that's Glaber Torres. Torres, you know, you look at what he did as a 21 and 22-year-old, and he looked like a just a star in the making. And 2020 and 2021 were just really, really rough for him. And the underlying issue seemed to be how he was hitting the ball because his K rate was lower those two years than it was the two years before. His walk rate was higher those two years than it was the two years before. But his average exit velocity was down. His barrel rate was down. His hard hit rate was down. Like There was just a lot of, of concerning signs, although his overall line, his ex-WOBA, was pretty steady. And so you start to look at it and you're like, okay, he's not hitting the ball as hard, but I'm not really sure why. His plate discipline is still there. His overall expected WOBA still looks pretty good. And there were good reasons to buy in on him. And sure enough, this year, he is walking a little bit less than he did the last two years, but still at a decent rate, 7.2%. His strikeout rate is lower than it was in 2021 and much lower than it was in like his 2018, 2019 seasons where he was so good. The big thing is his home run per fly ball rate has rebounded. Now, it has not rebounded all the way to where it was in his breakout seasons, but we're playing with a very different ball this year than we were in those years. And so the fact that it's back up, he was at over 2018 to 2019. It was two really good seasons. He was at a 19.9% home run per fly ball rate. Over 2020 and 2021, he was at 7%. This year, he's at 13%. And what's driving that is a career high average average exit velocity, a career high barrel rate, a career high hard hit rate. Like, and, and as a result, he has a career high in his ex woba, and his woba is actually almost at a career high. He had a three fifty eight in twenty nineteen. It's three fifty four this year. He does not look like he's going to threaten forty home runs like he did in twenty nineteen. But again, that's an environment thing more than anything else. He looks to me like sort of the the best version of himself or very close to the best version of himself. I think he could walk a little bit more than he does and that would push his value even higher. But for a guy who was drafted around 147, Glaber Torres is the number 12 shortstop on the player Raider right now, the, the Rasball player Raider, and number 74 overall. And that is not a guy who is super inflated by speed. He does have five stolen bases, but not a ton. I I mean, he sort of does a little bit of everything. He's got a good average this year at 273. He's going to contribute 25 home runs. He's going to chip in, you know, probably around eight to 10 stolen bases. And he's hitting in a very good lineup. So I, I, I've been impressed with Glaber. I've got him in a couple places and he's been super helpful for me. My biggest sort of, I don't know, disappointment, concern, I don't know if that's even the right word, is he's only made six appearances and made one start at shortstop this year. There is good reason for that. He is not a good shortstop, but I would really like him to get that eligibility. Out of new leagues, he needs 10 games. He's got six, just four more appearances. Put him there as a you know, <laughs> sub late, give him a couple shots. It would really help me out, but even without that, I'll be very happy with him as a second baseman next year. Yeah, I think he's, he has the more important position, right? And who knows? The Yankee situation is a little weird. I think Oswaldo Peraza might get it before 
Glaber does, but uh, Isaiah Kiner-Falefa has not been good. So, you know, there's that. The, the one thing that sticks out for me for Glaber is he brought up the 38 homer season back in 2019 when he hit 36 of 38 against Baltimore, which is not an accurate number, but that's what it felt like. Close to that, though. I had to get that that dig in there. His pull rate was 41%. And he was kind of there in 2020, the next season at 38.9. But since then, it's down below 35%. And that includes this season. So if I saw that pull percentage creeping up a little bit, maybe I would uh, believe a little bit more power is going to start coming for Glaber because the fly ball rate is also way up. But he is definitely a player who is once again trending up. His career has definitely not been consistent, but it's one that is finally, after the last couple of seasons, heading in the right direction. And and keep in mind, he is only 25. He doesn't turn 26 till the offseason. So there's still a bright future here. We do have a couple of honorable mentions to talk about at middle infield. But before we do that, let's take a quick break. Be right back. Hey, Alex Fast here. And thanks for listening to this podcast on the Pitcher List Podcast Network. If you're a fan, consider supporting all of us by getting a PL Plus subscription where you're going to get an ad-free website and get access to our Discord where you can talk to all of our podcast hosts and staff. Plus, you can hang out with our incredible Pitcher List community. It's basically a baseball sanctuary year-round for as low as $8 a month. You can sign up at PitcherList.com backslash plus and you're going to get your first month free with promo code podcast also don't forget to check out everything else we do as well from youtube videos live streams newsletters off-season articles tiktoks breakdowns over 15 baseball podcasts on our network we can't stop talking about baseball even during the off-season so sign up for pl plus today at pitcherlist.com backslash plus and use promo code podcast to get your first month free all right thanks for listening let's get back to the show Welcome back. As we left you, we said we were going to talk about our honorable mentions at middle infield. A couple of guys who have been really, really high performers this year. One of them in a very, very specific way. And that's John Birdie. He had an ADP of 566. So basically undrafted. And now is number 103 on the player Raider. It is all about the speed for John Birdie. Yeah, I mean, it's been one of the most ridiculous or it was it's kind of cooled down i think right like a little I, bit yeah i don't have him in any leagues unfortunately because he has been great but he stole a base like was it i correct me if i'm wrong here chad did he steal a base like 16 games in a row or something like that i don't think he ever got to that long in a row but it was like 16 bases in 16 games or something okay like here let's look, I'm look at this stretch he stole two bases on june 1st and he stole three on June 18th. In between those, he did, let's see, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15. That was 15 games. And in those 15 games, he stole 14 bases without being caught. <laughs> in this environment, that is so, so, so important. So, like, I don't, th- honestly, I don't think anybody's really keeping John Birdie maybe in a super deep keeper league and you added him off free agency so he's free to keep and it's five by five so you need to steal, like, maybe. But he's also, like, an older guy. But no one can question that he he should at least get an honorable mention on our halfway point, you know, who are the all-stars of fantasy based on draft value list here. He has been, he's been awesome. The guy I put there was Christopher Morell, and he certainly could have gone in the outfield as well. He's a guy who I've rostered in quite a few leagues. I was able to get him in NFBC and he's been awesome. I don't, he's a guy we've talked about in the past. So I don't know if we really need to talk that much more about him. We're worried that because he whiffs so much in the zone that his contact skills are so bad that like, it doesn't even matter that, you know, his, 
his expected woba on contact is 502 which is ridiculous because he makes contact so rarely but he is a power speed combo on contact batting sometimes at the top of that cubs lineup sometimes at the bottom who has had some value and and given the fact that he was adp 751 like he's obviously provided some value but i didn't choose him for my middle infield choice because i don't think a single person drafted christopher morrell so like we can't really say he's a draft value all-star if nobody drafted him yeah agreed and i think you know morrell i'm i'm still unsure what to think of him going forward he's been very impressive but there are some some holes in the game birdie moving forward i think where he gets real interesting is in head-to-head leagues head-to-head categories leagues because he's stealing like two to three bases a week and i don't know about you but in my head-to-head leagues two to three bases is sometimes enough to win oh yeah if you've got a couple of other guys who are decent base stealers you know a couple other guys who are chipping in they're like one every couple weeks kind of thing and he's giving you two or three a week like we'll see if he can keep that up but if he can he potentially just wins you a category every week and that's that's worth rostering i think so let's jump to corner infield you picked one of my favorite guys here this is a guy i drafted in a bunch of places i particularly liked him in formats where he had outfield eligibility but that wasn't everywhere although i think it will be moving forward because he's sort of been blocked out of playing first base very much but Let's talk about your corner infield choice. Yeah, and Andrew Vaughn's my choice. The Statcast data looks awesome. I just, I, I always thought as he was coming up through the minors that he was projecting to be this like monster power guy. I know that's what the selling point was for him going into that draft. I think that was the same draft as Adley Rushman, you know, like major power source. I could be off in the Rushman one by a year. I can't remember. And he hasn't really lived up to that, to be honest with you. Like the power hasn't really been there. He's sporting a near 50% ground ball rate, which isn't going to do it for sure. But the batting average up at 288, particularly for a first baseman, that's very good. When he's played, he's been really, really good. And and at a value of a, a keeper cost at later than 250 at an ADP and draft champions of 261, Obviously, he's a guy who who's going to be on a lot of people's cape keeper radar. Now, for keeper leagues, I think he's kind of similar to Pena, kind of similar to, you know, definitely J-Rod and, and maybe McClanahan, where like the ADP on draft champions is not going to be reflective of where you got them in your keeper leagues. But to me, Andrew Vaughn, even if you had to reach a few rounds to get him in a keeper league, is probably still showing you that like keeper upside that we've always thought he has. And and so I, I at a tough kind of tough position for this, I put him there. I really wanted to put my honorable mention here, Chad, as I'm sure you know, but it's a guy we've talked about a lot. And he's a guy like Christopher Morrell, who I don't think a single person drafted. But Andrew Vaughn at ADP 261, I feel pretty confident putting him there. But he's no your choice. Your choice is much, much better than than Andrew Vaughn. I mean, he's a better player. Whether he's a better value is sort of an interesting discussion. That's debatable. My, the guy I picked was Austin Riley. Austin Riley. So again, we're going back to sort of the the different approaches Pete and I took to this, where Pete was really taking guys who were late picks, and I took some guys who were more. I thought I don't know if I'd say undervalued, but they, I get they they were they were undervalued in drafts, whether we whether we knew it at the time or not. But Austin Riley's ADP in draft champions was fifty eight. He is on the player radar at number ten, and Riley. I think the thing that stands out for me with Riley is like. He was great last year and he's been great this year. And we just like everybody just faded him 
to not be able to repeat what he did. I mean, if you look at what he did last year, so the biggest thing this year is he has 25 home runs already this year. He only had 33 all season last year. He's, he is on pace for maybe 40, but like his, his average and OD, OBP are down from last year. He's not really on pace to do anything different in runs or RBIs, maybe a few more runs in RBIs, but not like a, not anything meaningfully different from what he did last year. He does have two stolen bases this year. He had none last year. So he not, by the way, in stolen bases, he not only had none last year, he had none in his career. He had not stolen a base. He stole a base in 2018 in AAA. He stole two of them in AA in 2017. He stole three in 2016 in A-ball. Like his two stolen bases, if he steals one more base this year, it'll be the most he's stolen in a calendar year at any level ever. <laughs> so I don't know what's up with that. I don't know if that's going to continue. I am not counting on him to steal another base. I would guess he is done with his two. But yes, he is hitting a lot more home runs than he did last year, which is crazy because he had a ton last year. But he's basically just doing what he did last year. And everybody was like, eh, he's going to fall back. This won't stay up, but whatever. And like, it's not like he, it's not like people are like, oh, this is going to fall apart. And he's, you know, not a top 100 pick. He was still going in the top 60. Like he was a, you know, a, a fifth round pick, fourth round pick in 15 teamers, but he should have been a first. I mean, especially given third base, he's just been awesome. Yeah. And you touched upon it there at the end. It's the third base eligibility. And he was a guy who we kind of viewed as like safely fourth behind those top three in Jose Ramirez, Rafael Devers and Manny Machado. And recently on the ESPN player Raider anyway, and this could be due to the time that Manny Machado missed with that ankle. It's, it is obviously very close. But Austin Riley, with just his two steals, and Machado has seven, and we know how much that means for player Raiders. Riley has passed Machado. He trails, trails only Ramirez and Devers on that player Raider. And his yeah. average exit velocity of 93.4, like, that's just ridiculous. It's it's easy to just cite exit feel and be like, look, it's good. But 93.4 on average is his exit velocity. That is insane. Yeah. And, and he's doing that without like a big jump in K rate or anything, right? Like sometimes you see, I mean, I think the, the guy who to me was the poster child of this last year was Tyler O'Neill, right? Who was striking out 31.3% of the time and his average exit velocity was 93 it's really hard to maintain that. And this year, his average exit velocity is down. His strikeout rate has come down a little bit, but it's still up close to 30%. And he just hasn't been able to repeat what he did at all. Mm -hmm. When I look at, at what Riley was doing, like, yeah, this, this jump in average exit velocity and hard hit rate, like, I didn't expect that. But there was nothing in his profile last year that should have been a huge red flag. He was sort of doing what he'd always been capable of doing. He just was putting it all together. And, you know, what, what's sort of interesting is, to your point, he was being drafted as the fourth third baseman overall. I still think that's kind of accurate. I still think I would take him as the fourth third baseman. It'd be very close between him and Machado. But he, the, the reality is we just should have been taking those third basemen earlier. Right? I mean, I, I think it's... You know, you look at the ADPs, like you look at at the player Raider, Ramirez uh, on the Rasball player Raider, Jose Ramirez is fifth, Rafi Devers is seventh, Riley is 10th, and Machado 17th. In terms of ADP, Ramirez was second in draft champion. So he was going about where he should. Devers 
Whoops. Devers was 18th and clearly should have been going higher than that. Machado was 21st and probably should have been going higher than that. And Riley was 58th and definitely should have been going higher than that. So yeah, we just, we should have been pushing third baseman up, I think a little bit more than we did. And we pushed them like you and I were pushing them up. I think other people were too, but maybe not enough. Looking at our, our honorable mentions for corner infield. Again, I went with a guy who was being drafted reasonably high, but we, we, should have, I think, thought more highly of. I did think more highly of this guy. This is this is maybe a victory lap for me because <laughs> I was drafting him everywhere, and that's Josh Bell. Josh Bell, his ADP was 131. I was regularly taking him inside the top 100. His Rasball player raider right now, he is 55th. Future so, Red Sox. You think so? Uh, I, he, you just he, hope so? He fits the timeline pretty well, so I'm hoping. I, uh, Josh Bell has been incredible all around, especially given the lineup context. You know, he's been a, even Juan Soto severely underperforming this year. Juan Soto, uh, uh, Josh Bell has been a little bit of a bright spot. I went with Brandon Drury, who we talk about like every episode. So I'm not going to elaborate. Instead, I'll just pile on to what we were talking about with third base, where it was like we should have been pushing them up, especially those elite guys. Brandon Drury has a lot of eligibility. His most important is probably third base. If you look at the top six on ESPN's player rater at third base, it's obvious, right? It's Ramirez, Devers, Riley, Machado, Witt Jr., and Arenado in that order. And then look after that. Brandon Drury is seventh. John Birdie, Luis Arise, Patrick Wisdom, DJ LeMahieu, Wilmer Flores. That is seven through 12 on the player rater. So if you were oh, able man. to lock up Drury, like that's a, that's a big advantage that you got that seventh guy on the player rater. And I just, my whole thing with Drury this whole time, ever since the first time we talked about him, is that I don't see things in his profile that make me think he's going to bottom out. Like it just looks like he's not a superstar, but he's like a really solid option, especially with all that eligibility. And so far, he still has not bottomed out. Yeah. And I think it's also a good reminder that, you know, other than your top guys, you should be churning through guys when they're struggling. Because like, there are plenty of third basemen. I mean, you you read that list. If I go look at the list of third base for by ADP instead of by production so far, you had Ramirez, Devers, Machado, Adalberto Mondesi was fourth in draft champions. Then Austin Riley, Arenado, Witt. Then you had guys like Chris Bryant, Alex Bregman, Anthony Rendon. DJ LeMahieu, Cabrian Hayes, Max Muncy, Yon Mancada. Now, some of those guys, I think, like Muncy, there were injury concerns. Hayes, people were were betting on a breakout. But like, if you drafted Muncy and he wasn't bouncing back from that injury, if you drafted Hayes and the breakout wasn't coming, if you drafted Rendon and he was really struggling, I, if you had moved on to Drury quickly because he was the hot hand, you'd be real happy right now. And it's, it's a little, you know, Hindsight is twenty twenty and all that, but it is a reminder that like there are good reasons sometimes to just jump ship on a guy. Like Josh Donaldson was the twentieth third baseman off the board, and if you grab Drury instead of waiting for Donaldson to turn things around, like that just that would have been a much much smarter decision. Yeah, for sure. I I, I wanted to see, and I'm not going to be able to pull it up, so we can just keep it moving. I want to see who I dropped for him because I think it was one of those like I kind of missed out on third base, so. Why don't I pick up this guy instead and see how it goes? And you're right. You have to churn through because you might strike gold. Yeah, no, that's right. I mean, I, I think grab that hot hand, see what you can do. And the, the important thing is then be willing to churn on those guys too, right? Like if, if Drury had started to fall apart right away, if a guy like Christopher Morell had started to fall apart right away, like, you know, look to see if there's something that suggests they're going to turn it back around. But like, 
don't wait around on a guy who who is struggling if unless there's a track record there unless there's something underlying it that makes you think like yeah this guy's going to be really good in another week or two just move on find someone next and see who can who can stick again especially with those guys that you didn't spend a lot of draft capital on who you're not counting on you know, you get a cold streak from Jose Ramirez and you move on from him. That's probably not a good decision. But Josh Donaldson, Yon Mankata, yeah, do it. Oh, Chad, you're, I, I just found it. You're going to be disappointed. It, oh. it was for the outfield and it was Trent Grisham. <laughs> oh, no. But it's a good example, though, of a guy who like, yeah. he was so bad last year at the end of you know the second half of the season. And when he wasn't turning it around, like I waited too long to bail on Grisham. And now I'm looking at getting back into Grisham, but I, there was no reason for me to stick with him as long as I did. And I, I wish I had dropped him for a guy like Drury. Yeah. yeah. Let's move behind the plate and start again. Once again, Pete took a guy who was a very late pick. It's a guy I'm interested. In. I don't have be honest. I don't know a lot about this guy. I was sort of surprised to see you pick him. But as I'm digging in, like I get it, I get why why he had the why you see him as the value you do. So let's talk about him. Yeah, that's that's Jonah Heim, and uh, he's been a little bit of a godsend for me. I'm not used to playing in two catcher leagues, and I'm playing in a lot of them this year. And I didn't draft him. To be fair, he was ADP four sixty seven, but I was able to pick him up in a few spots. I think he was not on anyone's radar. First of all, because he's Jonah Heim. But second of all, because the Rangers traded for Mitch Garver and they already had Sam Huff and it was like, okay, well, you know, those two are probably going to shake out to be the Rangers catcher situation, or at least that's that's my impression. But Jonah Heim has been invaluable. I mean, he, he's he's been absolutely awesome. He's sporting an 800 OPS on the dot. He's even chipped into steals, which, you know, sort of like whoever we were just talking about. I already can't remember. I don't expect Austin Riley. I don't expect those stolen bases to go up. But the fact that you got two out of your catcher will take it. 12 homers. We'll definitely take that. He's just been pretty solid. And something that's kind of rare for catchers is that Jonah Heim has a strikeout rate of just 18.7. He's well below league average in strikeout rate. The exit velocity is 90 miles an hour on the dot with a launch angle of 15.7. That's resulted in him hitting a lot of balls in the air. His fly ball rate is 33%, which is contributes to those 12 homers. So if all of a sudden out of Jonah Heim, I'm going to get, you know, a 20 homer season with a reasonable batting average, especially given the position. He's been really valuable. I don't think he's like keeper range unless you're in the deepest of keeper formats, something like Otnu or something like that. But considering the cost that you've paid, he deserves a nod to be an all-star for this activity. The the big concern I think with him for me would be he has only a 314 ex-woba. So there, there's some questions about whether he can maintain what he's done. However... I'm looking at the catcher leaderboard on Fangraphs right now. I'm looking at there are 39 catchers who have 150 or more plate appearances this year. A 314 Woba would place if he had matched, right? So if, if he were matching his ex Woba to his Woba, he would be well, technically he'd be 12th because his mm-hmm. his Woba is 344. That places him seventh. If you knock that down to 314, he would be 12th in between Omar Narvaez and MJ Melendez. So it's like, yeah, his his ex-woba suggests there's, you know, he's overperforming what he's done, which might, you know, might cause you to be concerned about some regression. If he regresses to his ex-woba, he'll he'll still be fine. He won't be as good as he's been, but 
you know, people are very excited about catchers like MJ Melendez and Dalton Varsho, and they're they both have better X Wobas than Heim, but they both have worse Wobas than his X Woba. That makes sense. So, yeah, I think there's some probably some regression coming, but I'm not sure it's so much that it makes him a you know a cut or anything like that. For sure. So I am I'm going back and forth between my honorable mention and my actual pick at catcher. I'm going to flip them, but I'm going to start with my honorable mention just because we've, we've talked about him plenty and there's no need to talk about him anymore. But Alejandro Kirk has been arguably the best catcher in fantasy this year on the, on the Raswell player Raider. He's second. His ADP was 235. I, I talked plenty about how valuable he was before the season. We talked about him during the season, so I don't want to go any further with that. His However, strikeout rate is under 10%. We just, we have to, if we say anything about him, he <laughs> has struck out 9.6% of the time. That is stupid. Yeah, he's really good. He's just really, really good. So Kirk was going, like I said, 235th, two picks before him. And this seems sort of silly to say like, oh, you could have taken this guy two picks before Kirk, but it would have been a terrible decision because Kirk was a better choice. But Travis Darno was going 232nd, 230, sorry. 233rd, not 232nd. And he has been the sixth catcher on the player Raider so far this year. That puts him at 140th overall, which is obviously a lot better than what his ADP was. And this is another case of a guy who I think in some cases people just sort of forgot what he's capable of. And that's not to say that I expected him to be a top, you know, six, seven catcher like he's been. But he isn't doing anything out of line with what he's done in the past. I mean, if you look at the last two seasons combined, 2020-2021, he had 413 plate appearances. He had 16 home runs with a 265 average across those two seasons. This year, he has 11 home runs, which is a, a higher home run rate, but 11 home runs with a 262 average across 254 plate appearances. Like He's really not doing anything super different from what he did over the last two years combined. Now, over the last two years, it was one really good 2020 season and one really bad 2021 season. But he's just sort of like, he's a good hitter. He's been a good hitter for a long time. And I think people just sort of forgot that because 2021 was so bad. But he only played 60 games. He had injuries or all sorts of issues with that. Like, there was risk here. And so even if you looked at him and said, this is a guy who's going to be a top 150 guy, I would have I would have understood waiting to closer to pick 200 to pick him. I even understand people who waited to, you know, his ADP of 233. You should have waited till 235 and taken Kirk. But if you didn't, getting Darno around that stage was a, a really, really nice pick. And I, I think people should have been more, should have been higher on him. I mean, you look at some of the guys going ahead of him, like Adley Rutschman was going, was going thir- 25 picks higher than Darno. And I understand why that is, but like we didn't know when we were going to see Rutschman. There was a possibility we were going to see him till August. So like, you know, Mitch Garver was going almost 50 picks earlier than Darno. And like, what's the difference between the two of them? They both have had good offensive seasons and had some down seasons. And like, there's just, it's just way too big a gap. And yeah, I think people waited too long on Darno. Although again, they could have just waited another pick and taken Kirk, but Darno is my all-star pick. Kirk's my honorable mention, only to give me an excuse to talk about Darno instead of Kirk. 
Yeah, no, that makes sense. I I think you're right, though. I think people literally forgot about Darno because it was thumb surgery that that basically took up all of his 2021. And if you looked at that and said, oh, aging catcher coming off thumb surgery like that, I, I don't really want anything to do with that. But I'd question that mindset just because we're talking about, first of all, catcher and second of all, super late in drafts. So like, I don't know, I've, I'd rather take track record with Darno and hope that he bounces back from a thumb surgery than some unknown quantity um, like like a Jonah Heim or something like that. He has been awesome. He is an all-star this year. So not only is he an all-star for our purposes, but he's a real life all-star as well, like many of the names that we've we've brought up. But you're right. There's something to be said for track record. Darno has been consistently fine throughout his career. Never ended up living up to that elite prospect hype that that netted I don't know the Blue Jays R.A. Dickey was that what that trade was what whatever that the was, yeah yes. uh yikes anyway um he's still been you know consistently good and, and I'm with you I kind of expect him to be perfectly fine the rest of the way and a value at what you paid to get him yeah that that trade by the way was R.A. Dickey Josh Thole and Mike Nickius who I don't I don't even know who that is in exchange for Travis Darno, Noah Syndergaard John Buck and Wilmer Becerra so that wow. was the full trade there. <laughs> Any other? I, I have one other honorable mention, semi-honorable mention at catcher. I'm going to mention. I want to call out, which is Danny Jansen, who he's been hurt, and so he only has 68 plate appearances this year. But 273 plate appearances between this year and last year, and the average is is not great. It is 232, but it was up to 258 this year. But he has 18 home runs in 273 plate appearances over the last two years. If he can just stay healthy. He is going to be a very useful fantasy catcher, but he needs to stay on the field and he really hasn't been able to do it. So yeah, that's a good call. A good all-star pick if just he could stay healthy. Yeah. And he's another guy actually who, when, when he's hot, like he, he's been awesome. Uh, It's, it's been for very short stretches, but when he first burst onto the scene, I forget who he was competing with. It might've been, is it Russell Martin or am I showing my age there? I, I can't remember. But Danny Jansen, when he first got called up a few years ago, took the job from somebody and, and looked pretty good. My honorable mention would actually be more in line with like your line of thinking for this activity. And that would be Tyler Stevenson, who I think if he did not get hurt, he's got a chance to be the number one catcher in fantasy. He has been absolutely incredible when on the field and he didn't skip a beat when he, he came back on July 9th. And since then, he is nine for 20 with a home run four RBI and three runs and just five strikeouts. So he has been awesome. He's picking up right where he left off. And I think he's a, he's a top, probably a top three catcher the rest of the way. Yeah, that's a great call. That's a, that's a really great call. So with that, we've gone through all of our all-star draft values from this season, all guys who are, who are probably keepers, if not definitely keepers, all guys who, regardless of their keeper status, though, if you drafted them, if you picked them up early in the season, you've been very, very happy, and they've you've probably been very successful. If you've got this, if you've got this group of players on your team, you're a very happy fantasy manager right now. Anything else we should cover? Or are we we good to go? I think we're good. I, I like just general baseball talk. Like I don't know how the heck William Contreras is an all star, but like Carlos Rodon did not get named. Tommy Edmond is not an all star unless he got named. What is going on there? Like, I'm I'm never somebody, Chad, that like complains about the uh, who got gypped and who didn't. Because at the end of the day, like, it's really hard to if you say someone got snubbed. Well, that means that somebody that made the roster did not deserve to. I I just cannot for the life of me figure out why two Atlanta Braves catchers are on the all star team. Maybe I missed something. I, I just I saw that I was what 
what is going on here and why is Tommy Edmond not an all-star? Why is Carlos Rodon not an all-star? But uh, that's that's my I'm sure you feel a particular way about Dever starting over Jose Ramirez as well. So I mean, that's just the voting, right? Like the voting yeah. is the voting. And should Ramirez be starting over Devers? Yes. But like Andres Jimenez should probably be starting at second base as well. Like, I, I mean, it's just the voting is never going to go to the best players. And I'm fine with that. I get it. That, that is what it is. The the Contreras thing, he absolutely does not belong on the roster. <laughs> However, I kind of love the fact that he and Wilson are both going to be in the starting lineup. I like, honestly, I hate it even more story. because of that. Like, it, really? it's a cool story, but like, he's not only on the all-star team, he's starting. Like, I, I maybe feel, I'm making yeah. a, a mountain of a molehill. I don't actually care that much. I, I just I, I feel like it. for to guys me, to get gyps. To me, the, the, the all-star game should be about the fans. It should be about the storylines. It should be about like just making things exciting and interesting. And I, I think that moment earlier this year where Wilson and William brought the lineup cards out and like Wilson was like tearing up over it. And he, he talked later about the fact that, you know, he left home at 16 as so many of these international players do. And so he's like, he hadn't seen, he hadn't been on the field to see his brother play baseball since his brother was in like little league. And then the next thing that happened was they were exchanging lineup cards at a Atlanta Chicago game. Like that's, that's an awesome story. And the fact that now the first time that they're going to play on the field together is going to be as teammates starting an all-star game. Now I hope that <laughs> William is hitting early in the lineup and gets pulled after one at bat, like pinch I don't runner. Do, I don't yeah, just <laughs> get him in there, give him his opportunity and let someone else get their shot too. But I, I love this story. I think it's a great story. I think it's super fun for both of them. And I, I like, I, I like it. So do you also so. think that Verlander should start the all-star game for the storyline or and, and Kershaw? Or are you in the camp of like McClanahan and Alcantara? I would absolutely start a Dodgers starting pitcher. I And actually, to me, I think this is something that like they should do this every year. Every single year, if there is a pitcher from the home team on the all-star team, they should start. And like if if next year... Where's the All-Star game next year? It's in Seattle next year. I should know that. Robbie if, Ray. If the Mariners, if the only pitcher, but like, forget, if the only pitcher for the Mariners is Paul Seawalt, he should start. Use an opener. Have him go one inning. Like, that moment of having a hometown starting pitcher, because they're also, they're the home team, which means they also take the mound first, right? So the, sure. the All-Star game starts with this hometown hero taking the mound. I, I think that should be, you know, it's not a rule. But I think it's something that every all-star manager should should be optimizing for whenever they can. And I think in this particular case with Kershaw, to me, that's a no-brainer. Yeah, so I, I, I agree with that, particularly because to me, Kershaw and Verlander, if they do end up starting, especially Kershaw, because like you said, he's at home, they, they deserve to make the all-star team anyway. So I don't really care if they're yeah. starting or not. I had another point I was going to say there, but I forgot. It doesn't matter. Uh, home run derby I, prediction. I couldn't, care less. I couldn't care less about Verlander, by the way. Like, I don't, it doesn't matter to me at all if he, like, it's a great story, but, like, I don't think, no I don't one's think gonna his like story is, standing like, standing ovation or, yeah. Yeah. If he come back from, like, cancer, sure. Sure. Yeah. But, you know, pitchers come back from Tommy John. It happens. And, like, I get that he's a unique case, but, like, I don't, I don't see any particular need to honor him. Again, if I were going to make a, like, who would be sort of the, like, the best pitcher is McClanahan, and he should start. But if you're not going to go with the best pitcher, 
I would start Otani. That would be cool. Like that story, right? Is like that, that to me is the storyline guy is let Otani start the game in two spots. He can be the starting pitcher and the starting DH. You know, and I think somebody actually brought this up. I don't, I don't know if it was a big Twitter account or a small one, but I read it and it was like, maybe Otani should start just to like keep him on rhythm, like not mess this guy up. Like, yeah, what he's doing is really special. So let's not mess with it and have him like come in in the fifth inning after playing DH early on. Like maybe I'm, it, me and this person are reading too much into it, but like, I, I don't want anything to happen to Otani. So uh, just keep him doing what he's doing. Let him start this game and then take him out. Um, I, I'd be fine with that. But I got to say, my money is on Pete Alonso for the home run derby because, you know, he's Pete Alonso. Why would it not be? Right. Yeah. Any dark horse pick there? I mean, you know who I'm cheering for. Oh, my, yeah. My Joe Jose. That's right. That's yeah. exciting. All right. So they, they were saying, by the way, on the, on the Guardians broadcast yesterday, uh, their their dugout reporter, the guy who like sit, literally sits like in the dugout talking to players during games. This guy Dre not Dre is awesome, but he was commenting that I don't know who it was who Jose picked to be his pitcher, but it's not a guy who's ever thrown him batting practice before. Oh, that's gonna go great. <laughs> so whatever it was, it was like like he literally said he's like oh is I think that name is Augie. It's like is Augie ready? And Jose was like no. He doesn't know what he's doing. Like, but it's like, I just, whatever the, so I, I'm hoping they talk about that because there was some story and I missed it, unfortunately, because I didn't see the whole, the whole conversation, but like, he's picking somebody who is just like, this guy's been around me and deserves this as much as I do. And so That's I nice. want him to get it. And like, I love that Jose's doing that. I hope they talk about it when they when he gets up to hit because it is entirely possible this guy is not going to be able to get the ball over the plate and it's going to be a disaster. Like I have no idea what to expect. So I bet the house we'll they do. They always talk about the pitcher so much. Oh, the, they I usually I do. Thought I, we got to wrap up. The one thing I did want to say, I love the addition of Miguel Cabrera and Albert Pujols because even though they don't deserve necessarily to be quote unquote all stars based on their performance, they're not taking anybody's spot. And so I just think that's awesome. Like we have Kershaw, Verlander, Pujols, and Miguel Cabrera in the all-star game. Once again, that is really cool. So I really like that. I, my only, my only question, my only concern is Cabrera is not retiring, right? So like, does he get like, if he retires next year, do they do this for him again next year? And, and so I, my take on this is I love that this idea of like an honorary spot for someone I love that Pools is getting it. I wish they said, we don't need to make it even. It doesn't matter if it's National League only and not American League. We're just giving, like, we're just putting this guy on. And then do it next year for Miggy if he retires. Yeah, that's a like, good point. I, otherwise, because otherwise it's going to, I feel like it's going to be kind of weird. weird. At some point, <laughs> Miggy's going to retire. And then it's like, do you, do you let him do it again? I don't know. But I agree with you in general. I love that it's happening. I think it's a really, really great thing for the game. Yeah. And I'm excited for Pools. It's like it's fun for him that he'll get to be there. It's 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 sort of a fun moment for his family. Like I'm I think it's a I think it's a good decision. I like that they're doing that. So yeah. On that positive note, we will let you go enjoy the all-star break. We will be back with you next Monday, even though there may be no new baseball to talk about yet, since <laughs> we'll have who knows when we'll get to record, but we'll figure out something to talk about, even if it's just recapping how we feel about the home run derby and who the starting pitchers were and all of that good stuff. Hope you enjoyed the episode and we'll talk to you next week.